Welcome back, everybody. We are going to continue on with part two of our discussion with Chief Kenny. You're listening to First Responders Bridge, the podcast. And so that motivated me to then to go out and start to do public speaking. I started at a wonderful friend of mine, Janet Wilmoth, was the editor of Fire Chief Magazine. She convinced me to write an article that led into doing a, a talk, the first talk I did at the National Fire Academy for a good friend of mine at Kaplan, who was the planning chief. Um, he kind of convinced me to go, even though I said, I don't think this is a good idea, and I don't know how I'm going to get through any type of a presentation uh, and I and I had to do three of them, and I thought they were horrible. And the response from them was amazing. Of like, you you we want to this. You've got to go out there and talk about this, and we would like to hear you come. That led to T. Allen Brunacini, who was the chief of Phoenix, um, and was like the Babe Ruth of the fire service at that point. Called me. I'm like, this has got to be a joke. Somebody pretending they're Alan Brunacini. He said, Hey, I I had a, somebody in the class you spoke at the academy. Will you come to Phoenix and do that talk? And I did. That talk was a little bit better than the ones at the Academy. A little less emotional, a little bit more fact. And when I was done, he walked up to me and he said, okay, you got our attention. So what are you going to do about it? He said, well, Chief, I, I think I just did, right? I mean, that's what you asked me to do. He goes, oh, no. Goes, you just started because now you got to go make it happen. And so that was in... 2009, and I've been doing that talk since then. And every year I keep thinking it'll be the last year I do it because nobody will ask. It's not needed. There are a lot of wonderful people out there now who are also telling their story. And because everybody's got their own when they've walked that mental health path to motivate people, I'm like, it'll end. And it almost did in 2016 because my wife and I, after doing this talk, it was the tail end of 2015 and now after six years i had it polished enough that most of the people in the audience were getting the message mental illness is part of physical illness it's part of your body so react create it treat it be prepared for it that way but 25 percent of the audience maybe just felt sorry for us for having lost our son like that's not good enough we got to get that 25 percent. so i said what about if we compare it side by side to an actual physical illness so we put one slide in there that became a powerful, one of the most powerful slides I have. And it was, I picked brain cancer. I said, all right, this is a disease of the mind. This is a disease of the brain. Let's use this one and put them side by side with everything from how does it appear? How's it diagnosed? How is it treated? All the way to if you become terminal and, and you go to heaven, how does the firefighter who dies by cancer get treated in his family versus the firefighter who dies by suicide? And how does their family get treated? And that slide, you could see, as I presented it, the light bulbs go on. And many people commented, and I went, this is great. We, I, I, too bad we didn't think of this before. Mm-hmm. Well, three months later, my wife was diagnosed with glioblastoma, terminal brain cancer. Mm-hmm. And I remember when the diagnosis hit, I broke down and cried. And I said, did I jinx you? Why did I pick that disease? Of all the diseases I could have picked, why did I pick that one? And so I watched her fight for nine months and give it everything she did the same way Sean did. The only difference was you could see her deterioration. You couldn't see it on Sean. 
And the other thing was we told everybody, this is what she's got, the support she got, the love, because she was kind of the mom of our fire stations. The love she got from wives that she had become friends with, firefighters who had grown up with her, was amazing. Sean didn't have that because we never really shared his story. We didn't want him to be looked down on because we kind of bought into the stigma, too, that that would happen. We didn't give people a chance to show their better side. So as she came close to the end of her journey with a son that was getting married in November, he and my daughter-in-law came to see her 13 days before the wedding and said, Mom, have you got 13 days left? And she's like, I didn't fight this hard, come this far to miss that wedding. She was already paralyzed on the left side. She was most of the time in a wheelchair, a chair, or in bed. But her cognitive skills, even though she had nine brain tumors, were amazing. They were miraculous. She was as sharp as a tack. So I went out the next day, November 1st, which in the Catholic Church is All Saints Day. I went for a run. I came back. She was with um, Sean's godmother. And when I came back, I walked in the door, and she said, there's been a change. I'm like, my God, why didn't you call me? She said, no, no, she's fine, but you just need to go in there. So I went in, I go, what's going on? She goes, no, I'm not going to make the wedding. Like, what do you mean you're not going to make the wedding? You just told the kids last night you were going to make the wedding. She goes, no, I'm going to make my transformation. I go, do, do you feel that bad? She goes, no, tell everybody I'm going to make my transformation. She goes, what's the difference? I said, I saw Sean. I go, what? I said, I saw Sean. I go, where? She pointed to the corner of the bed with this conviction we had just had our 35th wedding anniversary that I had seen for 35 years of like, I know what I'm talking about. And they go, how did he look? And she said, kid, he was 20 years old, but he was like a little kid. He was bright. He was healthy. He had this beautiful smile. It was wonderful. I go, did he talk to you? And she said, yeah. He said, mom, I'm coming to get you. And five days later, she went into a coma and passed away. And she died at 3.43 in the morning. She fought like hell all night long. And I kept begging her you know he's there you saw him go you, you don't want to stay like this it's okay we'll have a good wedding everything will be fine and she fought and she fought and she fought until about 3 a.m and then she became peaceful and when she died at 3 43 and i remember the hospice nurse saying it i go what time did you say it is she said it's 3 43 does that mean something i go how many firefighters died on 9 11 and she just looked at me and i went that's my sign she made it i go it's okay now. No more suffering. She got that hug she hasn't had for 10 years. She just got it. And now we will go forward. And I really thought at that point, I'll never do this talk again. I'm finished. I can't do it because she would stand in the back of the room whenever I would get emotional and just nod at me and the nod meant he's right standing behind you. You can do this. And now it was going to be an empty space back there. And there was a movie called The Natural, that I had watched a hundred times. And there's a scene in that movie where Robert Redford is the star and he's really struggling and striking out a lot. And this huge crowd is booing. And Glenn Close, who's kind of the heroine of the movie, um, she gets up and stands up in the middle of this crowd to like stand up for him. In fact, he asked later in the movie, why did you stand up? And she said, because I didn't want to see it fail. Now, I'd watch this thing a hundred times. Like, okay, it's a sappy scene. He hits a home run. It's Hollywood. It's okay. No brainer. Well, this time when I watched it, it was Christmas Day after she had passed. And I didn't want anything to do with Christmas. I wanted nothing to do with joy. I had nothing but pain in my heart. And this movie came out. I'm like, well, this is just noise. So it's fine. The scene comes on. And this time for the first time, I watched it. And I watched a very angry crowd that had one mindset. This guy was a loser. They judged him. 
very much like people judge people who struggle with mental illness. And it's a group think. And it only takes one person who has to have an, um, an incredible amount of courage to go, no, that's not true. And that's what she did. She stood up. And he steps out of the batter's box and he can tell something's going on, but he doesn't even know what it is. But he knows something just happened because when he gets back in, he has this look of determination on his face. Like, I got this. And of course, the next pitch, he hits a home run. <laughs> Excuse me, but not only does he hit a home run, he smashes a clock. And I'm going, smash the clock. Smash the stigma. Like, oh, my God. I go, that's what you, that was you. That's you in that white dress with this ray of sunshine. But you're this angel that stood up. I go, you want me to smash the stigma? And I swear, and I, I always say when I do the presentation, she was sitting right next to me on the couch. And she leaned over and go, good for you. It only took you 101 times to figure that thing out. And from there on, I went, I got, I got to keep doing it. One of the things she made me promise before she went into coma was to write a book. And I said, you know, you do everything, including writing Christmas cards. I can't let me write a book about You got to tell Sean's story. I want you to tell his story. And I tried to go in the back door and said, I promise I'll try. Well, you're not married for 35 years and get away with more language like that. She looked right at me. She goes, no, no, promise me you'll do it. Okay. And honestly, when I said, I'll do it, I figured, well, she's going to heaven. She's going to be an angel. Angels are forgiving. So when I get up there and I don't do it, she's going to be like, yeah, it's okay. You don't have to worry about it. Well, loads of coincidences that weren't coincidence occurred over the next four years. And all of a sudden, I was in a position where I started to write it. I actually started to write it the day that my daughter-in-law went into labor with my oldest grandchild and finished it and thought, well, okay, if I'm the only one that buys this book, I kept my promise. And it is just spiraled from there. And people have bought the book, sent amazing responses, all of a sudden more requests to go speak, um, none of which I planned. Back to one of your original questions, would you have ever seen yourself where you are now? Not a, not a chance. Not a chance. But I'm doing what I'm supposed to do now. And I, every once in a while when I get tired and I feel like I'm not sure I can do this anymore, I just say a little prayer and go, Lord, if, if she tells you I can stop now, you, you let me know. I need, I need a very obvious sign so I can go, okay, I don't need to do this anymore. And, and so far that hasn't happened. Um, and I don't know when it will. I do think it'll happen someday for some reason, but right now I just follow the path and wherever somebody calls and they feel if it'll help. I go, I, I talked to a great group last night and I really encourage groups to bring their significant other and some wonderful people last night just shared some very deep, intimate pain they've been through when they stand in line to talk to me. And you realize that there's a lot, there's still a lot of mistrust out there. There's still a lot of stigma believers and there's still a lot of people who, think that it's weak to ask for help instead of the bravest thing you can do. And that's the message. That's Sean's message that it was his bravery that motivates me. It was my wife's bravery to fight the cancer that makes me go, I got to be brave enough to be the one standing up in front to go, it's a lie what you think. If you think they're weak and you think that they have a character deficiency, and if you think asking for help is not being brave, those are all lies. And I'm here to tell you, you are wrong. And it's it's my mission for now, and I like to think that every time I do it, there up on the stage is not only my dad and my wife and my son, 
but all those firefighters who have died by suicide, who people didn't understand or didn't know, or they didn't understand that they needed to go for help until it was too late. And they feel like, hey, we're doing something. All of you are doing it. I just did the mouthpiece, but we're, we're doing something that if we save one life that's in that crowd that goes back and makes an appointment to go see a counselor, goes to an EAP, talks to a peer, talks to their significant other, we made a difference. And that's, you got to start somewhere. I call it creating Sean's team, Sean's disciples. Make as many people as you can, spread the word, and maybe someday that stigma will be completely eradicated. Wow, Chief. Thank you for that and sharing the story, you know, of of your dad and of of Sean and of your wife. Um, Thank you so much for that. And just, you know, you've gone through so much, but you didn't let that define you, right? You're using those experiences to say, Hey, how can I use what, what they went through and how can I, how can I use that to help break this stigma? Um, and thank you for that. And, you know, given all that you've gone through chief, how, how do you stay on top of your own mental health? How do you stay on top of day to day? What, what do you do to, to help you stay on top of that? So I, I think there's two things. Um, physical fitness and agility has always been something that's going to kind of been my go-to. Uh, I was a runner. I hurt my back pretty bad when I was taking care of Eileen and and couldn't run anymore. So now I do biking, some long distance biking. Um, If I can do something physical and I'm going to be 67. So, so a three mile walk that's, I taught myself that that's, it's okay. You know, you don't have to walk 12 miles. You have to run 26 either. I find that it, it, even when I'm at my lowest, if I can push myself to just start, if I can do 10 pushups, if I can do something, it relights the pilot. And I'm able to go ahead when I can't do it. And here in Chicago now with the weather, the way it is, and, and we've had like most families have it had illness go through our house um, during the Christmas holiday. And I'm still suffering a little bit from a sinus infection and it's not easy to work out or, or sometimes not smart. I feel it. Um, the darkness. I'm, I, I, I need to be in light. I need to be places that are light. I used to think that whole thing about, ah, oh, yeah, you know, people, say that they've got this illness when they, they the darkness makes them depressed yeah well that's a real thing um and i see it so i try if there's just, i don't care if it's five below zero if it's sunny outside i'm going i'm bundled up and i'm going for a walk because it reinvigorates me and the second part that's just as powerful is my faith um when i feel myself slipping when i when the red flag goes on it goes okay you need to talk to somebody you're great at preaching but are you going to practice what you preach? I say a prayer about, Lord, you just need to give me the strength to pick up that phone. I have a great counselor named Sue. We've had her for years. She was Sean's counselor. And in fact, I talked to her today. And when I'm struggling, I just go, yep, need to call her. No different than when my back acts up on me and I go to see the back doctor. It's just make an appointment and go, I need to talk to you so you can talk me through where am I at? What am I doing? Why am I feeling this way? And and more importantly, what do I do about it? And sometimes she's not a miracle worker either. She has her own cape, pretty amazing. But just to be told what you're feeling is normal and it's going to go away is enough to write yourself a permission slip that I can hear this. And that really helps it. So I guess it's more of a three-prong approach. It's that, that physical fitness. It's then that faith to call and say, please give me the strength today to ask for help. And then actually knowing where to go and getting it and listening. Cause sometimes some of the things she's told me over the years, I don't like, 
and to hear it and go, but you know, you're right. I didn't look at it that way. I don't want to look at it that way, but that'll make me a little bit better. And those are powerful. And I would encourage anybody. Um, you should have somebody that you know, you should have a few people whose numbers you've got in your cell phone, whether they are friends or families and professionals. that if you feel that way, you don't think twice about making a phone call. Say, hey, I need, I really need to talk. If you can't talk now, who can I talk to? Because I just feel like I'm, I'm starting to sink. And don't wait until you're sunk. You got to do it when you start to feel like you're sinking. Chief, that's great advice for veterans and brand new uh, firefighters, police officers, public safety. It's really great advice for anyone. Um, those three things are so important. You mentioned, you mentioned your book. And you mentioned um, how you uh, came to write that book and uh, what pushed you along. But one thing you left out, really important, so for our listeners, uh, we were fortunate enough during our last retreat to meet uh, Chief Patrick Kenny and uh, see his presentation in person, so powerful. Um, uh, you impacted a lot of first responders during that presentation and uh, during our next retreat, March 1st through 3rd, um, we're going to be fortunate enough to to have uh, Chief Kenny with us again. But, Chief, one thing you left out is uh, where can somebody buy your book? So you can um, – my website is patrickjkenny.com. If you go to that website, it will take you um, – Amazon has it. Barnes & Noble has it. Um, it has all of the, the different um, – depending on what your flavor is of how you like to learn. Um, a lot of people like the hard cop. I'm a hard book guy myself. Um, they talked me into doing the audible version, which to be honest with you felt like it was harder than writing the book. I thought it would, I, I didn't want to do it. I said, don't you have like actors who've got great voices and they do, they're like <laughs> my consultant who was wonderful. Shannon said, Pat, she goes, this kind of book, it, it's gotta be you. If somebody realizes when they start to read that book and they get the audible that it's not you, they're, they're not going to listen anymore. So you got to do it. And I thought, well, okay, we'll start doing this in March and I'll be done by the end of the month. Well, I was done by the end of September um, because I, as the person who was helping with the book said, you're not the chief. Now I am, I'm in charge. When I say you're done for the day, you're done. And the first day I went 20 minutes and they're like, you're done. I went, you're kidding me. You know, no, 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 no. You would, you wouldn't do all this to get set up for 20 minutes. I just need a break. I just need to have a glass of water and go outside, compose myself. I'll be fine. Like, no, you're done. Your voice is done. You're emotionally, you're cooked. You're finished. And it was a real struggle. The best news I got after I did the audible was I've, I've been a volunteer coach at the high school for 26 years for baseball. And, and one of the coaches there that I've coached with for over a decade, called me and said, I just listened to the audible version. And he goes, I thought we were sitting on a bar stool together and you were telling me a story. He goes, it was you and it was powerful. And I was like, okay, well, as usual, people with more brains than me were like, <laughs> and the Kindle version is out there too. So you can, you can get it in any version that you feel more comfortable with. And in fact, some people, I always tell you must be a glutton for punishment are like, yeah, I read the book and then I wanted to hear you who have not heard me speak. So they did took the audible and said, yeah. I even learned more when I did them together. So wow. um, thank you for asking, but that's that's how you can get it. Yeah, that's great. But 
Chief, before we close up here, we uh, every week we like to do a praise of the day where we like to highlight a first responder or just a local hero who is uh, just doing great things in our community, and I want to do that really quickly. This one is out of Grangeville, Idaho, where a, uh, a 91-year-old male was stuck in his vehicle after he, he accidentally drove into a river, and his car was approximately 50 feet from the bank, being forced downstream by a strong current. But a U.S. Forest Service firefighter, J.T. Soar, happened to just be coming by um, and on the scene and was able to use his personal rafting equipment to pull the man um, out of his car and, and back to safety. So just very heroic action there by that by that firefighter and just job well done um, by him down there in, in Grangeville, Idaho. So excellent job there. But um, You know, I always, always believe that, that I, I had a pastor who said to me, you are where you're supposed to be always, even when you don't want to be there. And thank God for JT. That was that man's angel that day. That's that's a powerful story. That is a fact. And Chief, thank you so much again just for sharing your story and for honoring Sean and your dad and, and your wife in that way. We we were so happy to have you on. Well, I, I'm honored. Uh, I, di- I did lie to you, I guess. I told you I was going to do cliff notes. Whenever you get an Irish guy on the radio. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> um, but thank you for, for having me. And I look forward to coming to the retreat in March. I was incredibly touched to be asked to come back. I said, I must not have done that bad. So that's good. So I'm looking forward to it. It was excellent. And uh, we will see you at the next retreat. And we will see everybody else on the next episode of First Responders Bridge, the podcast.